3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. I'm joined with Zoya and Madison. Hi. Hey. Morning. Look at us, three people. This is so exciting. <laughs> this is so exciting. This is the first time in lockdown. There's three, there's three of us. How is everyone? Yeah, wow. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, pretty good. Pretty good. Been making sure I'm exercising each day and eating good food and... You know, listening to my body. Ticking all oh, the Oh, that's boxes. good. Yeah. It's my yeah. dog's birthday today, so that's really... Oh, oh happy well, today birthday. Being the day we're, today being the day we're recording it, which is, uh, which is Sunday. Oh, and yes. happy birthday, Phil. <laughs> the day that we're recording it. <laughs> happy birthday, Phil. He's four years old. Oh. Um, he's a hilarious, hilarious dog. So, so he's um, middle-aged. He's, he's middle-aged he's, now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is he is having, he, is he having... <laughs> That <laughs> was no my crisis. question. Is he having a no, midlife crisis? Not. Like yeah, all the other um, Leos and, you know, cancers in this period, he unfortunately is not able to have a party like he has in other years. Um, but perhaps we'll postpone and, and have a party a little bit later on in the year for him. Yeah. As a, as a, as a true Leo, is he uh, upset about the fact that he won't be sent to attention on his birthday? Oh, then? always. Always. He's, he's here right now, actually upset that I'm on the phone. Phil, do you want to come and join us? <laughs> so yeah. He's just sniffing around. So, yeah, that's, that's the state of my lockdown. <laughs> that sounds I mean, great. That's, that's pretty great. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we need a I'm picture of Phil. My body, but I'm listening to Phil's. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's far more important. You've got to listen to, you. You've got to, listen to Phil. He's, he's the single greatest <laughs> hound in the world. He really is. Mm. Very into him. Yeah. And how are you, Genevieve? I'm well, yeah. I've been, like, busy. And I feel <laughs> I feel like because I haven't been busy in, like, four months, I'm, like, super – it's, like, a bit of a slap in the face at the moment. Um, but, yeah. yeah, it's good. I've been doing a bit of painting, a bit of still life. Ooh. <laughs> I have to do it for uni, so I'm kind of forced to do it. But it's been a nice little therapeutic venture for me. <laughs> Not that I've been That's doing really a lot fun. of art. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been all right. I haven't worked with paint that much before. It's very unforgiving. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. I've never worked with paint, but I know that you do a bit of painting, Madison, so... Yeah. I'm sure yeah. you can give Genevieve some tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, so um, we have a bit of a show coming up. What do, we, what do we have on the show today? 
Um, yeah, so I interviewed um, research scientist Fiona Cousins um, about an article she recently co-wrote in the conversation um, specifically about endometriosis. Her research um, is in endometriosis and it's believed to be one in 10 women um, have endometriosis. They've kind of done some research into the stats and it's something like it takes on average of 10 years Mm -hmm. to be diagnosed, which I think um, is obviously huge, huge gap in the Mm. um, medical world there. We kind of just talk about uh, what, if women think that they have endometriosis, what they should do to get the help that they need. Yeah. Talking to um, their GP, if their GP refuses to, um, you know, assign them to a gynecologist, then what, Mm. they should say so yeah it was a it was a really good just 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 to clarify one in ten people with uteruses who Mm. bleed have endometriosis um which can include um you know people who aren't identified don't identify as women yeah of course yeah yeah um yeah it was quite an informative informative chat so yeah that sounds that sounds really really great we've covered um gynecological health a few times on Mm. tuesday breakfast including the vermilion project which is a really fantastic Mm. um project uh based out here in melbourne that looks into um gynecological health and also support in the workplace for people with gynecological health issues so they're also worth checking out again we've had a few interviews with them Mm. absolutely and Um, madison what Yes, I spoke to Rachel <laughs> Ang, um, who is an incredible artist. Um, and she recently, so she's a comics artist, and she recently released a comic for Multicultural Arts Victoria, which just goes into the concept of home and how home and um, our boundaries and our understanding of ourselves in, in a particular routine has changed dramatically um, during COVID. And she sort of addresses the the kind of very... Uh, quiet trauma of of what happens when all of your spaces uh, you know merge into one which I think is has really struck a chord with a lot of people I've noticed that a lot of people have been sharing her comic and I'm really yeah excited to have her on the show because it's it's um it's such an important time to be creating art that captures this really unique existential angst surrounding um yeah stagnancy Mm. Oh, that that really really rings a bell, especially considering I'm currently sitting on my bed while doing this show. <laughs> yeah, I had I a all I can see pillows on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a peek of those um, comics as well. They're beautiful. They really yeah, they translate like so accurately. Um, that emotional kind of trauma that everyone's going through that's kind of been like held in yeah in your homes um absolutely yeah it's beautiful representation of it she's quite incredible at uh at capturing those emotions that we don't necessarily have names for mm. yeah mm. what were you saying Zoya? oh it, it makes me think about um one thing that that I've been thinking a lot with being in lockdown, I try to avoid talking talking too much about, you know, the pandemic or whatever, but it's relatively relevant, um, is the fact that we no longer have access to community spaces in the same way. I was actually talking to a friend yesterday about doing 
this recording today and about how I miss coming into the studio at 3CR because there are so Mm. few genuine spaces for community and for activism that existed even pre-lockdown and now we're not even able to be in those spaces and that feeling of being in the studio and being in the building and being somewhere that exudes community and exudes politics and being away from that that the the loss of inspiration is also quite affecting yeah yeah community community involvement even yeah before uh covid was definitely on the decline and you could see that in terms of how people connect with each other and the different ways that people are connecting with each other now. And especially just because mm. that's all based around obviously online social media. I feel like that community is just really lost. Is losing mm. its, yeah, losing its touch a little I bit. I agree. Um, Having said that, we're still here. We're still yes. talking. We're still <laughs> doing our show. And one of the things that we do do on the show good. is try to cover current affairs. And mm. so um, we've done a bit of a scan of the news. It's not the same as we have done pre-lockdown. I know we haven't been doing this as as much, but we thought we'd do a bit of a run through of some of the uh, headlines that have come out this week or this last week that yeah. you're listening on a Tuesday, but that have come out in the past sort of seven or so days. And um, Genevieve, do you want to go ahead and take us through some yeah, absolutely. So I've on the note, I uh, am going to run through a tiny bit of COVID, just a little update. Um, so last week, um, we did have some of our deadliest days on record. Um, the, that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, but the good news is that the curve, to the, uh, according to the experts, is starting to flatten. Um, uh, also, Australia's official unemployment figures state uh, 1 million Australians were out of work in July. So that rate rose to 7.5%, although um, the survey was completed before Victoria implemented its stage four lockdown. So they're kind of thinking that the job list rate is likely to be a lot higher as well. Um, also, New Zealand has gone back into lockdown. They've reported, the last time I looked, was uh, 30 new COVID cases. Um, They've been sent into stage three. I think that's a really good reminder to everyone that, you know, you can have this thing, what were they, 100 days COVID free or something? Yeah. And it can just pop up um, quite, yeah, quite randomly. I don't think anyone was expecting New Zealand to go back into lockdown. Um, Mm. All right. And with the recent announcement with the HEX, the HEX loans, so under the latest changes that um, are being spoken about, uh, students who fail more than 50% of their classes after taking at least eight units will no longer be able to access a Commonwealth-supported place or HEX loans, um, meaning that they'll have to pay the full cost of their studies upfront if they wish to continue. Um, and then the federal education minister, so Dan Tehan, um, says it's, this is what he said it's about <laughs> ensuring students can't take on a study load they won't complete, leaving them with a large bill and no qualifications. Uh, obviously, the president, um, so the National Union of Students has obviously criticised these changes. And the president, uh, Molly Wilmot, accused the government of trying to insensitise success through fear of punishment. Mm. Um, She also said limited access to study, financial instability, education, quality, disability and the ongoing crisis of mental health in the student body are just some of the impediments to student success. 
Um, that's a really scary one. Um, mm. It's going in, I think, of, these changes haven't happened yet. They're going through Parliament at the moment. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's quite frustrating given that, you know, part of the reasons why a lot of people don't necessarily do well, and I'm saying well with, with air quotes here, um, is largely due to financial stress and access and, and, and class and all of these sort of dimensions that, that are fine <laughs> or like the capacity to pay back or sorry, the, the enforcement to pay back um, your hedge debt won't necessarily fix. Um, so yeah, that is, is quite yeah. difficult. One thing yeah. that I have found in the news um, is that an Australian police department um, actually uh, had uh, leaked the email addresses of 150 people who complained about the way that um, police handled the Black Lives Matter protests in Sydney. I'm not sure if both of you remember, but um, one thing that occurred was there was an underground uh, station and there was a huge gathering of people and um, the police did pepper spray a bunch of, uh, of people who protest. That many uh, individuals, not necessarily just the protesters, but people um, took to the took to emailing the police about uh, how unfair that is, and then those email addresses were leaked. So it's an incredible breach of privacy, um, and it was actually an accident. <laughs> so uh, another person did send a, another complaint and the response was the leaked email addresses. So it was an yeah, incredible breach of privacy that they're occurring. Yeah, that's, yeah, that stuff is really terrifying. The attack on, I guess, like the freedom to protest and mm. um, it's crazy how much that's morphed into, um, the fact that, yeah, just leaking emails or leaking identities, um, you know, the protesters are as a point of shame or as a point of um, terrorise, terrorising um, the protesters' plight. Mm. It's just further incentive or it's further encouragement per se not to protest or not to get involved because something, something like this will happen that falls under lack of discretion when it comes to, to the policing in Australia. And, uh, you know, it isn't the first time that New South Wales police have actually been involved in a potential privacy breach. Um, mm. In 2015, one of the police officers of New South Wales police had actually illegally hacked a private Facebook account um, to spy. This is what he said, to spy on another man who was later arrested and charged. Um, so the unauthorised access in and of itself was um, reprehensible, according to the magistrate that, it, that addressed it as a criminal offence. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're living in a world where police sort of have these unprecedented powers um, and because of that feel <laughs> that they can do these things that, that, that are very much not, not okay. Definitely. I think that, like, the um, pandemic as well... Um, gives the police even more powers and that's what's being played out. I just wanted to mention briefly before we get um, stuck into alternative news. Um, Sorry, that was my dog. I, agreeing <laughs> with you, <Anthony. laughs> Yeah, Phil, yeah. You hear me? <laughs> 
Um, just what's uh, going on, a little update about Lebanon. Obviously, this is following the devastating explosion um, mm. of ammonium nitrate that happened in Beirut's port and had been sitting there for, I think it was seven years, six, seven years um, since 2014. So the, uh, the cabinet uh, was forced to sorry not forced to resign they resigned um but uh the worry with the public at the moment and lebanon um the citizens of lebanon it's kind of mirrors what happened just last year when uh prime minister sahariri was forced to resign um and little changed in terms of the corruption um as the government was actually able to re-elect someone else without going to the um without the public voting and because lebanon's parliament has approved a state of emergency this even extends um powers to the army in the city uh a situation that a lot of rights groups have said uh pose a threat to even more freedoms so the army's imposed curfews and um they ban assemblies and impose Impose censorship on media organisations and publications if it's deemed, obviously, a threat to national security. Um, and now, yeah, the um, Lebanon, the Lebanese uh, prime minister, sorry, uh, the country's president um, is able to appoint a new government without the consent of the public. So, yeah, it's, yeah. That's incredibly uh, authoritarian. Mm, definitely yeah. and and that happening within the context of all the of, of you know various protests and civil unrest that's been going on in lebanon for the past however many months yeah, um, yeah. certainly has some concerns and implications yeah mm, absolutely mm. well <laughs> that is a lot to uh to be thinking about um before we jump into the um rest of the show and our interviews and things like that uh we thought we'd do a little alternative news discussion segment um one thing that has been coming up quite a lot well that always comes up and that we often touch upon on the show is the representation of race and racism in the media it is something that continues to happen in Australia where the lack of diversity within a lot of media organisations um, seems to be directly correlated to um, relatively um, biased representation of race um, mm -hmm. in the media. Um, so I thought uh, I would kick it off to actually have a discussion about something close to home because I know that one of the big things that's come out in the past week around racism is the recent um uh, cartoon in the australian i believe it was um by johannes leek bill leek's son um of joe biden and kamala harris and and we can touch on that in a moment but closer to home um i was doing a bit of a scan of uh different um news outlets and their representation of different issues within the representation of different issues and um at the moment, there is um, a hearing in the Northern Territory um, around the death of uh, Kumanjai Walker. Um, for people who remember, Kumanjai Walker died in an uh, a interaction with the police, I suppose one could say, um, in Uendamu. And um, 
his death is being investigated and a police officer, Zachary Rolf, is currently, um, has been charged. And at the moment, uh, courts are hearing um, uh, from defence and prosecution around uh, witnesses and witness lists. And there's been some back and forth between prosecution and defence over whether certain witnesses can be admitted because they're not, they weren't witnesses to the event, but instead are being used, I guess, as um, contextual or opinion witnesses as, as suggestions. And um, some of those are police officers who had previously um, interacted with Kumanjayi Walker, um, as well as people who were involved in, uh, uh, or who, who had kind of been engaged in um, responding to vandalism of a medical centre in the area that had led to uh, medical staff and doctors being removed from the centre. Mm. Now, the uh, ABC is reporting it, um, is reporting this whole back and forth around the use of witnesses um, and the argument is from the defense from the prosecution is that the defense are trying to effectively um, uh, present uh, uh, a case where um, they're suggesting that Kumanjai Walker was, was involved in this vandalism, but it, it isn't clear. There's a whole bunch of different things. And they're saying that this is inappropriate and, you know, effectively utilizing um, character assassination <laughs> effectively of this person. However, the way in which mm. the Australian has presented it is rather concerning. There is the the balance is interesting to say the least. The I'm just going to read from the Australian. Um, the Aboriginal teenager allegedly murdered by decorated Northern Territory Police Constable Zachary Rolfe may have been partly to blame for lack of medical staff in the outback community where the shooting happened. A court has been told. Now that is absolutely true. Wow. That the, 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 the court has been told this by the defense. Um, it is true that the constable is a decorated police officer and it is true that, um, that, uh, medical, a medical center was vandalized. However, the way in which that was, that's the lead sentence and the way in which that line is being drawn definitely places a certain viewpoint and a certain lens over that. And when we consider that in many cases, because of the oversaturation of the media, many people when reading articles don't read the full article and don't pick it apart. They mm. read the lead and leave it yeah. about that. So, I mean, I'm, you know, we can leave it to people to think about what the conclusion is going to be drawn from that sentence um, mm. and how that's represented is concerning, I must say. Mm. Absolutely incredibly leading and you're, you're spot on. It really, um, it plays into the way people do consume this sort of media. Um, and it, it just positions it again with this kind of, um, you know, that uh, he deserved it or, or, or so-and-so um, life is worth less in virtue of being this particular kind of person. It's very, you know, it's it's softly essentialist and it's it's um incredibly damaging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this happens time and time again when we look at people from um, communities that are continuously marginalised. Mm -hmm. They're often given the blame for experiencing the violence that the state places upon them. Yeah, or, this, or the system places upon them. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, the, yeah, the blame is predominantly placed 
on the people that they know or that they think don't have the means to advocate for their own um, their own context and their own view, which is awful. It's pretty much taking advantage of the fact that they are minorities. Um, and also, yeah, the, um, the saturation of the media and yeah, these trigger words. And it's something that was actually brought up, um, with the, the closing the gap, the new closing the gap, um, yes. Proposals that obviously the federal government's put out that it's just a bunch of trigger words. You know, you skim through the article, you skim through, what Scott Morrison is proposing to do about closing the gap. And it's all about, you know, I care about indigenous Australians and like all these trigger words. But when you actually look at the fine detail of what the proposal is, it offers no sort of resolution um, for Mm. definitely this generation and the next generation of indigenous Australians. Um, So yeah, just the manipulation that the media and the control that the media Mm. has over manipulating um, how people view a situation. For sure. I mean, I think we can see that, um, you know, in the past few weeks in the case of the two young women who were um, apprehended for uh, lying when crossing the border into Queensland. And, you know, Mm. these these two women aren't white and their pictures were all over the newspaper. Um, Whereas previous situations of non-white people who have been engaged in these kinds of um, activities, whether it's appropriate or not to be crossing the border um, in the, the number of cases in which their faces weren't shown. Um, yeah. And um, Madison, we were talking about this before and you said that um, they were labeled enemies of the state by one media yeah. outlet. Yeah. Uh, the, the actual front page, I, I believe it was the Herald Sun, but I'm not entirely sure. So I'll have to double check that. But the front page had them, um, defined as enemies of the state and you know there is a long history of this kind of uh defining facet of of criminalizing someone or or rather creating an archetype of a criminal by Mm. having photographs or images of the black face or the black body or you know the the uh, there were so many other instances of individuals who weren't um obeying covid restrictions and and this isn't us necessarily saying that that we you know, we, we don't believe that they did anything wrong. That That is not the, the issue in question here. Um, but other individuals that, that did do exactly the same as what these two women did, we don't know what they looked like because mm. they were white men. Um, yeah. So there there isn't an image of criminality sort of pasted onto their, their names and faces. Yeah. Mm. And when you ostracise, when you ostracise and alienate, um, those women and when that happens on the media you ostracize their whole community in a way mm. when um, mm. I know that there was heaps of comments on social media as well surrounding that issue that was saying you know they should be deported or um, this is in direct mm. quotes um, they should go back to where they came from um, mm. and uh, representation um, you know it's attack on the whole community it's saying you know you don't belong here and um, attacking their identity. Um, yeah. And all, like all those people that, you know, stepped off the Ruby princess, we don't know who they are. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And they are likely, you know, middle-aged white mm-hmm. individuals from Perth. So mm. it's, it's, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think this is speaking of racism in the media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably worth bringing up the uh, Australians other little uh, faux pas this week, uh, which was the uh, Kamala Harris cartoon. Um, and I'm not sure if, if listeners had have seen it, but it's, it's a picture, um, uh, an illustration of Joe Biden, uh, sort of, you know, with his, with his hands up in the air saying, it's time to heal a nation divided by racism. And then he sort of gestures behind him where Kamala Harris is standing. Um, and it says, so I'll hand you over to this little brown girl while I go for a lie down. Um, so it's incredibly patronizing and condescending and the, uh, the editor-in-chief, Chris Dorr, or, the, or the, you know, the people in question, uh, didn't actually find it offensive as seen by their, their willingness to defend it at all costs. Yeah, I've, I found the, the narrative around this cartoon um, quite interesting. I was having a conversation about this with a friend yesterday, actually, and I suppose one really frustrating thing is that it misrepresents what he did say, which was um, uh, uh, little brown girls and little black girls around America are now going to see someone who looks like them um, mm. running for the White House. Um, obviously, the use of little is infantilizing. There's maybe not a need to use those words. However, it is part of a broader narrative of when uh, the number of times presidential candidates have used those kinds of phrases to talk about children. So, you know, I I know that the justification that the, that the Australian or, or, or I I mean, I haven't looked into what their justification might be, but the justification of people who read this and may be that it's, it's reflecting Joe Biden's possible sort of infantilizing of people of color and infantilizing of Kamala Harris and the use of her as, as a, as a symbol, as opposed to an actual, candidate for reasons beyond um you know uh i guess sort of um you know reasons beyond trying to gain votes basically yeah absolutely. Um, having having said that i think that the thing that we always need to consider with this is not just the content of something but the context and if this um cartoon had run in a different media outlet that is well known for more left-wing or progressive biases, perhaps its message might be seen as different. But because yeah. this is running in an outlet that is, um, its political leaning is in a different direction, mm-hmm. and it has a history of cartoons that are that that, that are you know racially inflaming, yeah, um, or politically mm-hmm. inflaming. I think I think you can draw a line in terms of the intention, and as well as how the readers and the subscribers to that outlets are going to take it yeah well yeah joanna's leak uh just in 2018 there was that depiction of serena williams at the australian Mm. open having you know a tantrum depicting like a tantrum on the court with like exaggerated features and um that was not that long ago and it's um i know that chris yeah chris door the editor-in-chief um he tried to justify with exactly what you were saying, Zoya, that, you know, the intention of the cartoon was just a commentary on Biden's racism in his tweets. Mm. But I think it's such an important point to, um, you know, that media outlet definitely has a certain agenda when it comes to 
reporting on race and when it becomes to reporting mm. on uh, women of colour especially. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to correct you there. One thing very, that was said briefly. in the... I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going to correct also. you very, very briefly. It wasn't, um, it wasn't the Australian in Johannes League who published the Serena Williams cartoon. It was Mark Knight and the Herald Sun. So it's a oh, different media outlet, different yeah. cartoonists. Yeah. However, what that does show is the um, how how um, ubiquitous widespread this is in the representation <laughs> mm. and yeah. how widespread wow. this is, the representation of women of colour and of black women in the Australian, mm. Australian media. Yeah, it's it's very comparable. Um, mm. You know, and, and one thing that was mentioned in an article um, written in the conversation was was exactly what you're saying there, Genevieve, the you know, uh, the Australian published this cartoon, regardless of its insular meaning or, or whatnot, there's so many nuances that you can take or so many excuses that you can make. They published the cartoon knowing that it would provoke outrage. And it's this mm. outrage that delights much of its audience. And it's this outrage that really gets members of the right mm. very entertained. So that mm. is important to remember. It's not, yeah. you know, this, this, tweet was never for sorry this uh illustration was never for the quote little brown girls that um he apparently means to be protected yeah yeah definitely yeah. and that yeah. kind of mirrors exactly what um we've seen uh president trump do um mm. and talk about kamala harris since she's been been anointed um biden's running mate with you know questions about her heritage um, mm. There was a report in the in Newsweek by John Eastman that kind of you know stated Miss Harris does not ha- have birthright citizenship because she's the daughter of um, Jamaican and Indian immigrants, um, even though Miss Harris was you know born in California. Um, uh, and the only immigration was her parents. And, you know, that's just the same thing happened with Obama in 2011 when Trump yeah. came yeah. after Obama about his heritage and saying that he wasn't born in America. Um, mm. Yeah. And, I mean, people, uh, tr- Trump hasn't apologised, but the Newsweek did apologise, <laughs> saying <laughs> this uh, this opinion editorial is being used by some by some <laughs> as a tool to perpetuate racism and xenophobia. We apologise. Like I think <laughs> I think the point on that as well, and I think it's come back to Madison's point about the joy of having inflammatory things mm. is that once you put it out there, it's out there, and the apology does very very little yeah. and instead what you're doing is you're stoking flames and being able to do a non-apology and then um continue the dog whistling and continue that cycle and continue getting under people's skin with this stuff um, and we see this time and again everywhere in australia or across the world um we could go on about this for a very yeah. very long time <laughs> however um uh, i think it might be time for us to wrap up and yeah. move on to yeah. the uh rest of the wonderful interviews that we have coming up in our show. Yeah. Um, this has been really great. I have genuinely missed having these deep conversations mm. as a group in on Tuesday yeah. breakfast. It's a thing that I love about this show and we should continue doing it more. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, well enjoy I the hope. rest of your days, everyone. <laughs> and everyone out there, please stay safe. Look after yourself, listen to your body and um, wish Phil a happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. Bye. Bye.
everybody. Sarah Carroll here. You might remember me from some of the shows I used to do on 3CR, like uh, Vinyl and Shellac and Gasp and, of course, Hot Damn Tamale, which I presented alongside Werner Martin for many years. Uh, I came into 3CR as a very young person uh, and learned a lot about not only radio and broadcasting, but also the amazing diversity and uh, richness of the community that we're operating in. And I'd like to say to all of you, and I hope that you're all staying connected as you always have done through this wonderful radio station, that I hope that you're finding some comfort from uh, your association with 3CR from the shows that you listen to, the music that's played, and also the up-to-date and incredibly accurate and well-researched information that you receive. God bless you all, or whoever bless you all, and uh, take care. Some still think shit's sweet, no matter Life keep giving you what you think the answer You see, you speak what you're after All things begin with a small seed You the master! It's marvelous moves, the mind's magnetic. Wait till the target improves, we true poetic. Protected, the energy moves, thoughts reflected. Life is what you make it into, it's time tested. Broke, gon' stay broke to thought provoke different. Blame only holds so long, come on, listen. Tradition like to make you believe that your intention ain't tied to intuition. Don't vibrate to match up what? You missing the benefits of being in touch. It's easy for some of us to find ourselves lost in a world that doesn't love us enough. Somebody gain from your spiritual Run. And they preferred it if you would just run, 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 run around in circles and then you would give up or blow the smoke out. Cloud cover makes you color show now. And so now you know how it's about to go down. But um, some still think shit's sweet. No matter, life keep giving you what you think the answer. You see, you speak what you're after. All things begin with a small seed. Some still think shit's sweet. No matter, life keep giving you what you think the answer. You see, you speak what Hey, now you know we can't keep playing, yeah, the area keep green. And it's fair enough to say that there's a change among the stages we've been played upon. They want the flavor, but they rather see you hung. It's a strange fruit from root, the target is you. That changed the whole mood. They obviously want you to lose. And what's there to do except the opposite? This view could be myopic if we can't see there's an option to win. And take the path from within and not without. That's the scenic route and be here now. It sounds cliche, but all we got is today. And they can't profit from change unless they package it to all of the same. And that's the game. Control this a whole. Though you winning what they stole. I swear these niggas is bold. So they can strip you to the bone. They could never take your soul. It's the only thing you own. Did you know? Some still think shit's sweet. No matter. Life keep giving you what you think the answer. You see, you speak what you're after. All things begin with a small seed. Some still think shit's sweet. No matter. Life keep giving you what you think the answer. You see, you speak what you're after. All things begin with a small seed. Some still think shit's sweet. No matter. Life keep giving you what you think the answer. You see, you speak what you're after. All things begin with a small seed. Some still think shit's sweet. No matter. Life keep giving you what you think the answer. You see, you speak what you're after. All things begin with a small seed.
was Boog Brown and Spitzwell with The Seed. And that was on Boog Brown's new EP titled Summer Days Volume 1. Students and activists have been holding protests across Ethiopia. The Oromo are one of the largest ethnic groups in the Horn of Africa. They make up 34% of the Ethiopian population. For centuries, they lived as independent people with their own indigenous system of law. This all came to an end during the last decades of the 19th century, when the Oromo were forced to assimilate into the Abyssinian-dominated culture. Their indoctrination was further cemented in the early 20th century by several Ethiopian regimes, including the reign of Haile Selassie. The past few years, Oromo protesters have staged demonstrations across Ethiopia to demand an end to the expansion of Addis Ababa into Oromo villages. These protests are also a culmination of years of oppression, ethnic violence, deaths, and disappearances. If you would like to know more about the Oromo protests, follow the hashtag Oromo protests. It's important, as Afro-diasporic people, we extend solidarity to all Africans. Recently, an important figure in Oromo's fight for freedom lost his life. His name was Hachalu Hundesa. Hachalu sang of love and unity. And for Oromos across the world, his loss was felt keenly. We're going to play a song of one of his more popular tracks. It's called Malanjira, and we hope you enjoy it. Malanjira, chap, chap, se nanya te jira. 
Isolated, quarantined, need some essentials but can't leave the house? Or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment? Queer Aid Nam is a new mutual aid group of organized volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you, help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on queeraidmelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook, COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends, and don't forget your neighbours. That's QueerAidMelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. Hi, my name's Kath. 3CR has been in my life for decades. Each week I listen to my favourite programmes. However, it's in a time of crisis that I really appreciate how important 3CR is. Often, this is when thousands of people are on the streets pushing for change. In this time of COVID, no one is on the streets. 3CR is more important than ever, keeping all our communities connected and informed. 3CR is a remedy for social isolation in this time of physical distancing. Good on you, 3CR. Good morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. It's Genevieve and today I'm speaking with Fiona Cousins. Fiona is a postdoctoral research scientist at the Ritchie Centre in the Hudson Institute. 
Dr. Cousin's research interests include the endometrium menstruation and endometrial disorders, including endometriosis, endometrial cancer, and heavy menstrual bleeding. Her current research focuses on endometriosis and identifying new targets for endometriosis treatment. She joins us on the show to talk about endometriosis and why it takes so long for women to be diagnosed with this debilitating condition. Hello, Fiona. Hi. Do you want to start off by explaining to our listeners what endometriosis is and how it affects women? Sure. So endometriosis is a condition that causes debilitating pain. It's caused when tissue like the endometrium appears outside of the uterine cavity. It attaches to organs in the body cavity. And these um, fragments of tissue end up forming lesions that then can invade into the tissues and cause the chronic pain. And it also has other side effects that can affect um, the bowel and bladder movements, can cause pain during sex. And it can also cause infertility. Yeah. Um, and how common... Um, is endometriosis in women? So, yep. So from what we know, it's about one in 10 women that are affected, um, but it's probably more than that. Um, the one in 10 is the women that we, we know about, uh, as the article that you've, the conversation article that we're discussing has said, um, it's very difficult to diagnose. So there's probably a lot of women that we haven't found uh, have, the, have the disease. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and how do women become formally diagnosed with endometriosis? What would the procedure be? So the only way to formally diagnose the disease is to do a diagnostic laparoscopy. Um, and that is done under anesthesia. So the doctors will go in and remove the lesions from the tissue. Those uh, tissues then, uh, the lesions are then sent to a pathologist and then the pathologist confirms that those are endometriosis lesions. Yeah. And um in your article, you talk about the lack of research and technology towards diagnosing endometriosis. How do you think this has impacted women getting diagnosed? Um, yeah, so there are those limitations because the only way to diagnose it is that invasive surgery. Um, there's unfortunately not an easy blood test like there are for other conditions. Um, Researchers have been looking at trying to see whether there are differences in circulating blood um, between women and uh, women that do have it and women that don't. At the moment, there's not a, def a definitive factor that we can use as a blood test. Um, and that's probably the e would have been the easiest way to diagnose women because um, women don't mind really going into a doctor's surgery and giving a little bit of blood and waiting for those test results to come back. Uh, but unfortunately, the um, because the, the, the laparoscopy is quite an invasive procedure, lots of other things will get ruled out before you get sent for a laparoscopy. So a lot of women, unfortunately, get diagnosed with other conditions like IBS um, before they then persevere and get that laparoscopy to confirm the disease. Um, however, there is research ongoing at the moment looking at other things that we can use to use as a diagnostic. So for example, in our laboratory, we're looking at menstrual blood um, and comparing the content and the type of cells and the type of factors that are in menstrual blood and comparing that between women with and without the disease. And we hope that that might be a future diagnostic test that's non-invasive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd like to mention another, uh, one of the problems with diagnosing that you outlined in the article is that women can wait as long as 10 years to be properly diagnosed with endometriosis. And 
One specific reason that's given is in relation to the normalization of period pain. Can you explain how this is aided towards delays in diagnosis for endometriosis? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to period pain, every woman is quite subjective of their own pain, but also because women do menstruate, I think when women pre present with pelvic pain, especially around their period, a lot of doctors just said that's quite normal, that you just have to put up with it and these women go home. But fortunately now with say, social media and online forums, women are actually able to share their experiences and it's given them a bit more of a voice to say this actually isn't normal. Um, and then gives them a bit of confidence to go back to the doctor and say, I want a second opinion or I want to follow up. But previously that has taken, uh, previously I'd say that women haven't been that confident to sort of go against what a doctor says. And especially, you know, you listen to your mum and your grandma and they say, oh, it's just part of being a woman. You just have to put up with that pain. But I think now women are getting a bit more confidence to say, no, this, this isn't okay. And they want to go back and get, get a second opinion and get more tests done and get more help. If you've just joined us, you're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, and this is Tuesday Breakfast, and I'm currently speaking with Dr. Fiona Cousins, who's a researcher in endometriosis. She's talking to us about what endometriosis is and how and why it takes so long for women to be diagnosed with the condition. There seems to be um, a lack of knowledge from our GPs about endometriosis, um, especially as you said, when women go to the GP, it seems to be put down to menstruating and something that we have to deal with. Why do you think there is such lack of knowledge and lack of information with GPs? Well, until recently, endometriosis wasn't a disease that we talked about. Um, there are many taboos against uh, endometrial disorders. Um, and that just wasn't something that was then GPs weren't educated around it either. But there is more awareness now. They are being educated. And it's now instead of thinking, oh, that could be an IBS, a bowel issue, could it be more of a menstrual issue? So but they are starting to think more that could be endo. Um, but previously it would be that they just they weren't aware of it themselves. A lot of GPs will have had a small obstinguine rotation um, during their training, but may not endometriosis may not have been taught during that time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that kind of leads into my next question um, in terms of the gap, obviously, between women's health and men's health. And do you think, um, yeah, this gap is slowly starting to close or do you think we still have a long way to go in terms of the biases that are also in play? Yeah, so I think we are, we are getting better at closing that gap between men's health and women's health. Um, especially on, if you look at higher up in businesses or boards or even the research, um, the research funding bodies, they have traditionally been um, positions that are held by men. Um, so when something like prostate cancer came up and needed more research, then that was men voting on men's conditions. Um, and they might just, they probably weren't that appreciative of women's conditions. Uh, we're now seeing more women in higher up positions in boards and on uh, in positions that are making decisions based on funding for research or even funding for education. And I think we are closing the gap between men's and women's health. Um, there's obviously been a massive push recently for breast cancer awareness, ovarian cancer awareness, cervical cancer screening. 
Um, so I think there's definitely more information about those uh, conditions. Obviously, endometriosis isn't a cancer. Um, doesn't kill you directly um, and I think that's it's maybe why it hasn't been considered in the past but fortunately it is getting more awareness now we've obviously had that big push by the Australian government for awareness and funding for endometriosis so in terms of menstrual disorders we definitely are getting um, more awareness and closing that gap between men's and women's health conditions. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to finish off by lastly, for our listeners, um, do you want to tell them the certain steps that they should take if they think they might be suffering from endometriosis? Yeah, sure. So um, endometriosis symptoms can include uh, extreme chronic pain in and around your period, but also at other times during your menstrual cycle. Um, If you have any pain with sex or any pain with bowel movements or um, bladder movements, If your period pain can't be controlled with normal painkillers or anti-inflammatories over the counter, you should definitely be speaking to your doctor. Um, There's some great menstrual cycle apps now that you can track um, signs and symptoms as well as things like your mood and um, your water intake and everything. They're also really handy. If you you don't like to use your phone or you don't want to use an app, you can also just track everything in your diary. So how, how long you may bleed for or how heavy it is. Even things like how many tampons you go through or how many pads you're going through a day, it's really good to note down how heavy your bleed is as well as how much pain there is. Um, speak to your GP. If you're not happy with what they say, um, ask to be referred to an endometriosis gynecologist. Um, not, gyne- not all gynecologists are made equal. Um, you do want to ask for an endometriosis um, gynecologist. You may need a pelvic ultrasound after that. Um, and then, or you may then have to go for a laparoscopy, but that's um, firstly just speak to your GP and, and get that referral and see what the gynecologist says. Awesome. And we'll put a link with the article as well on our website so people can follow that as well. It's been such Great. a pleasure. Thank you so much, Fiona, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me.
on your phone, gorgeous. You're giving me the silent treatment, baby, and it's so so cold, gorgeous. Just give me something that's vital. I'm messy, Lionel, Richie, all night long. All I do is smoke weed, drink scotch, write songs like. Love me, love me. Etc. Etc. Get the picture, lightly by this camera lens. I got more sedatives and Bill Cosby just to put me to sleep. Nightmares rock me like Bon Scott. Visions of you leaving like proof, and you pop up with some other dude, and it's not cool. So I arc up like Noah. Temperature goes woo, then I come to, and all I'm thinking is you. Remy and Sampa the Great, titled For Good, and that was on Remy's album Divas and Demons. The Queen Victoria Women's Centre is calling all craftivists to join us and make a fuss. Make a Fuss is a crowdsourced, craftivist project looking for submissions on the theme of women's silence. If you've experienced a time when you didn't want to make a fuss, why not get crafting and make some noise? For more information, go to qvwc.org.au and click on Make a Fuss. Submissions close August 19th. Queen Victoria Women's Centre is a 3CR supporter.
by Sudanese artist Rasha. It's titled Azara Ale. It was released in 1997 and I definitely recommend checking out Rasha. She's from Sudan and she's put out some great tracks in the 90s. That one was one of my favorites. Coming up is an interview that Madison did with visual artist and comic artist Rachel Ang. And it's about her recent work in multicultural arts, Victoria, about lockdown and the pandemic and the emotions that come with that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Rachel. Oh, thank you, Madison. Um, first of all, are you able to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work as well as the graphic essay that you created for multicultural arts, Victoria? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Rachel Ang. I'm a Melbourne-based comics artist. Um, uh, I, I guess I, I would say that I work on longer kind of things like graphic novels, but I also um, have been publishing a few shorter graphic essays, um, especially during COVID, um, that are more to do with just um, how how we live, how people interact, and how we live and are creative under pressure. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, the graphic essay, which we will link in our socials, but it does open with the question, what is home? And I love that because I feel like the audience is really encouraged to consider home as a concept rather than a particular place or area. Um, yeah. How did you, you know, how did you go about trying to start this essay? Um, I think that I, I just had, had a lot of thoughts or like feelings recently to do with, um, working from home and the stresses that that brings. And I think, um, you know, really feeling for people where their, their home situation is, um, oppressive or unhealthy and yeah, thinking a lot about, um, what it, what how the meaning of home changes when you're not allowed to leave it Mm, yeah absolutely yeah and I think that's uh, the branding of home has been really interesting in this time Mm, like the the, the mm. concept of home is the ultimate hub of public safety you know like stay safe and stay stay home has just become this really normalized statement and it, it is forcing us all to really reflect on such deeply personal spaces that are often fraught with danger or complexity and you know what sort of reflections were you required to make about your own home and your understanding of home um as you went along the process of of making this essay um yeah I you know it's interesting I think that um like most people I have a home means more than one thing to me Mm. so um you know it means um my family but I'm not necessarily that close to my family. Um, it means my my home where I live and pay the rent. So I live with in a house of five people. That's quite a lot of people. And how we've really grown to love and support each other during COVID, mm. I think, is so, like um, something that 
really keeps me going and inspires me. Um, home is my partner's house where I spend like most weekends. So yeah, I think that um, like most people, I had quite not a fragmented, but a really multi-faceted and kind of nuanced feeling about what home means to me. And I think as well, you know, a lot of my friends, I had been to their homes or had spent a lot of time with them, but I hadn't really considered what their home life is like until COVID, if mm, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. like um, especially for people who are who are single and um, can't have anyone visit them and can't really leave the home. Um, I had never really considered that that might be lonely, I guess. Yep. Um, and maybe that, maybe it wasn't before as well. Yeah, exactly. Like I think our understanding of what lonely is has really changed. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think loneliness is not just having no one around you. Loneliness is what you feel when um, the people you are around don't acknowledge your real self or... Yep. Um, or can't see you as you truly are. So you can you can live with a really big family and still be really lonely, or you can live by yourself and not feel lonely. I guess. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think as well. I I know that loneliness is something that most people feel, but I don't think that I have. It's something that I've dealt with much before in my life. Mm. Um, before now, I think I always, even when I lived alone, I had a lot of friends to talk to, and I felt really connected to my creative community or my community of like for cultural reasons and stuff like that so Absolutely. I, I hadn't yeah um what about you do you feel like this the time that we're living in has kind of brought different things into focus for you yeah definitely I mean I I have really had to reflect on what home is and for me I, f- I feel like home has been really much um I've really been gravitating toward a home with my pants for sure um and just having them kind of, I don't know, create this routine or, or still sort of obeying this routine that that's a bit oblivious, which has been quite refreshing. Um, yeah, actually, <laughs> I think that my parents are pretty oblivious as well, or they just don't seem that bothered. <laughs> your, your parents? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I said my pets. Um, oh, <laughs> but I do know right. what, yeah, yeah, but I do know what you mean. My parents are the same. I'm like, they just don't seem, it, it's yeah. very much this thing of like, you know, I'll, they're going to try and keep going as, as normal as they can. But there's, for a lot of, I think, people in a generation that has really, in, you know, in all honesty, been very much up in the air from, from day dot. I think we're much more used to having to reassess ourselves mm-hmm. and our worlds, whereas our parents haven't in in the same ways, or or, or they're perhaps just not practiced in it as much. Um, yeah. So I feel I like the- they're sort of a, they're more closely aligned with normalcy or something. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever normalcy is, I, mm. it's interesting that you bring up pets, though, because. I, I think that I get a lot of comfort from like observing animals and how like I'm like wow if only I could be a dog like I reckon yeah. I think that about once a day just absolutely like, um not really concerned with anything except when you know where the people they love are and whether they're gonna get dinner you know 
that's it. And they, they find joy in the same, well, they, their relationship to the home is, the home is fun too. The home is everywhere for them. Like it's, they've always just known the home um, and the one hour walk a day in, in much the same way that we're in that, that space now. So it is quite interesting trying to renegotiate a space that they've already <laughs> established as the space that we're being asked to relate to as is. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really think about that, but like now walk time is more for us. Than, yeah. Than, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to ask you about your process because I think what makes this particular essay really strong is that it's imbued with research and philosophies. Um, oh, okay. And how do you, how do you go about researching for a visual essay such as this? Um, yeah, well, you know, I, I really appreciate you saying that first because I think this is one of the first times that I've really leaned really hard into um, my own background. So I'm trained as an architect. Mm. And, and um, so for me, it was more just um, pulling that into my creative practice and um, feeling like, oh, hang on, a lot of the thoughts that I have and have read about um, in terms of space and how we inhabit it, maybe other people would find that interesting. Mm. Um, and I think that I had a few doubts about, you know, I don't, um, you know, the essay is a form, the personal essay, a form that writers like you and I know really well, but mm. I think, like, to make it a comic and then to draw in all these kind of um, critical theory kind of references is kind of unusual. Yeah. So I, I was like, oh, God, I'm not sure anyone wants to read something like this, but I'm really, yeah, it means a lot to me that you thought it worked. I found it really um, effective. I just thought it was really, you know, it, it, I guess it situated your essay and your reflections in the larger commentary as well. Yeah, thank you. I think that, um, you know, obviously every, every part of life is up for scholarly discourse, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like every, everything that you've experienced or thought, there's someone much cleverer than us who's written a paper on it or a book or something. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's kind of, um, I sometimes it is and sometimes it's not useful to look up those references and read into it and be like, oh, okay, like the reason I feel this way is because of A and B. Mm. Um, yeah, but for me it was just like I, I just found myself drawn back to a lot, of, a lot of books that I had read maybe five, ten years ago and picking them up again and thinking like, oh, this is suddenly relevant to my headspace right now. Totally, totally. Um... And you touch on the fact that a new door to the outside world is our screens, you know, and I think that I had a conversation with a friend yesterday who I've been really bad at, at keeping in contact with. I mean, the, the mm -hmm. two of us have, um, and it was, I, I sort of said, look, it's, if you want to get in contact with me, maybe just try and call rather than text because I'm finding it really hard to engage. Yeah. Yet at the same time, I'm also constantly online so like how do you think our relationship with technology has changed during this pandemic uh, yeah it's really interesting how you say that it's it's become more difficult in some ways to to keep in contact with friends even though yeah. I'm obviously so much more desperate for it and yeah. I, I really don't know why that is I find myself really 
feeling bad because I'm not being a good friend to the people that really matter to me. Um, And I think that everyone's feeling that way. I think, yeah, I I think it's maybe because we have to be online all the time. Mm. Remember when you used to go online and then when you left it, you would say BRB? Yeah. Well, I've got to go. Yeah. yeah, no one ever says that anymore because we never go. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you never go and come back. You're just online all the time. So, yeah, I, I really, I'm not a hundred percent sure how healthy it is either to like mm. be online all the time. I definitely, yeah, I find that you know you mentioned that phone calls are better than texts. I think that's true. I have a few good friends who. We talk on the phone for like an hour or two once a week and that's really good. That's so nice. Yeah, but the group, I think as well, I'm at the age where, um, you know, all my friends have gone through Saturn returns. So <laughs> I've moved to like really far away. Like one of my best friends lives in Alice Springs now and then another moved to New York and we're just really spread out. So totally. I think we had become those friendships actually are easier to maintain because we had already set up a rhythm of talking and texting all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if a lot of people, maybe I took it for granted that I would see them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, not just that, but the way we engage with them is, you know, based around those parameters. Like one thing that I'm, I'm really missing is not necessarily my closest friends, but the people that I would just see around, you know, the periphery friends. Yeah, but it's actually, I was discussing this with a friend and she was saying that those kind of loose connections are actually just as important to your kind of sense of the world as the strong connections, you know, like, of course, you would keep in contact with your best friends, but, you know, the people that I would see in the office or who I would get coffee from every day, I can't, I can't really just call them to talk. Do you know what I mean? That would be weird. And I also, I don't want to have a one hour conversation with them. I just like I would just see them in passing but those kind of um passing relationships also made up my kind of day yeah exactly exactly how do you think this will how do you think our relationship with technology will persist after this period is done um I'm not really sure I think that if we if we want to keep working from home and being really flexible which I think we should because it's a lot fairer for people with kids and people Mm. with chronic disabilities and stuff then we will have to get used to being online a lot more yeah but I also think that uh you know I I read somewhere that people who are really like um at the top of Silicon Valley and those kind of environments they don't let their children play with phones or iPads all the time, right? Like really? The, the, really, the, really, the really privileged thing is to be able to disconnect and allow your children to grow up in an environment that is disconnected. Totally. And, um, you know, it's, it's the time poor people, the people that are juggling many jobs and really struggle to get through, you know, and to make ends meet. They're the ones that are, you know, they have to give their kid an iPad to entertain them, you know? Like, Absolutely. Uh, and we should obviously we shouldn't judge that because parenting is such such a difficult job but it's like 
I, I think that the new privilege will be being able to step back from that, you know, yep. and take sabbaticals that are like non-digital. That's such a good point. And yeah, I want to um, thank you so much for your time, Rachel. This has been really, really wonderful. It's, it's given me so much to think about. But I, I, we were discussing just before we started um, recording uh, an initiative through Multicultural Arts Victoria. So did you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, Multicultural Arts Victoria, they're um, an organisation here in based in Melbourne and they they set up this commission called Shelter. So that's mm-hmm. what um, my essay was published for all through. Um, and they've opened up applications for Shelter too. So that's open now. You can just Google Multicultural Arts Victoria and it's open to people who live in the Flemington and Kensington flats um, that were in the hard lockdown. Yeah, so I would really encourage people, even if you don't think you have a creative practice, to just check it out because a lot of people outside the flats would really appreciate and, um, yeah, really have a lot of respect for hearing a story. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter.